Hello, everyone. This is Food Talk executive producer Rob Perra. Danny will be conducting interviews here every day, talking with experts on food and agriculture, and discussing topics like the impact of COVID-19 on the food system, unsung food heroes, how climate change continues to be a threat to agriculture, and other pressing social and environmental challenges that impact farmers, eaters, and the economy. Today on Food Talk, Danny interviews activist Ronnie Cummins, executive director and co-founder of the Organic Consumers Association. They discuss how a Green New Deal with incentives for regenerative agriculture could protect our food system in future crises. Enjoy the show. Uh, Today, I get to chat with Ronnie Cummins, the co-founder and executive director of the Organic Consumers Association. He's also the author of several books, including his most recent entitled Grassroots Rising, A Call to Action on Climate Farming, Food, and a New Green Deal, uh, which came out earlier this year. And he's also a member of the steering committee at Regeneration International and the OCA Mexico affiliate Via Organica. Um, Thanks so much for being with me today, Ronnie. I'm a huge fan and admirer of all the work that you've done over the years. I don't think you remember. We've met once before at a conference, but you were also really, really helpful to me when I was in graduate school when I interviewed you over the phone. So I've I've been a fan for a long time and I'm so grateful for the work that you do and for really all of us. Um, Before we start, I just want to make sure you and your family are doing okay during this really chaotic and crazy time in the world. Yes, I mean, we're down at our organic research farm in north central Mexico, where we got across the border right before the border was closed. So we're able to grow organic food and uh, be careful, but continue our research and our work. And uh, I feel fortunate because most people around the world are in a much more difficult situation. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad you're all safe. Um, I want to start off with um, a a quote in chapter two of your book, and you're you're quoting Alan Williams uh, um, from his writing in This Farm is Medicine. And it says, nature has this incredible ability that when subjected to disruption, it actually regenerates itself a degree or two higher than where it was before. And that that quote and that sort of sentiment really resonates with me right now during the COVID-19 pandemic. And, and so I just wanted to, you know, sort of highlight, highlight that. And I know, re, you know, regenerative agriculture is so important to the work that you're doing and, and, and what you're researching. Can you talk a little bit about how, how you think the pandemic will will affect you know the research you're doing. I know for your for your organization and for so many others that are are looking into the importance of organics and the importance of of regenerative agriculture. Yes, I think a lot of us have realized in the last decade that there's a higher stage of organic than just USDA organic, and that's the regenerative organic, as many of us use the terminology. Uh, and even though these farming and ranching methods land use methods are not new, uh, we need to make these the norm again uh, and move away from this chemical and uh, fossil fuel intensive type agriculture. And the great thing about regenerating soil is that we can uh, not only restore it to where it was uh, a few decades ago in terms of the fertility and carbon matter, its ability to absorb rainfall, we can actually make it better. Uh, Many farmers across the world are adopting regenerative techniques and they're actually making it better. And in this pandemic situation, I think we need to realize that, of course, healthy soil and 
and healthy food, healthy animals make for a healthy environment and healthy people, but that we should not despair uh, about our health, that even though only 12% of us apparently in the United States are metabolically in balance, that is ready to fight off this virus. Uh, lots of us are thinking a lot more about what we eat now and, and where we eat, and we can increase our health and we can build up our immune system by paying closer attention to what we're eating. And it's been an amazing experience, I think, for people all over the world to stop eating in restaurants for a while and have to cook at home and have to really think about, oh, my God, I could catch this and die, you know, right. to start thinking about our, our health. So I like to look at the good side of this, this tragedy that uh, this increase in organic food purchases of 20% this year, this tremendous increase in uh, community-supported agriculture and direct sales, this, uh, you know, outwelling of compassion and solidarity that's led to so much mutual aid around the world where right. people are trying to come to the rescue of, of hungry people and poor people, and they're really showing I think the best sides of human nature. So I think we're gonna come out of this uh, into a new, uh, we're gonna be called the regeneration generation other than the degeneration uh, generation. And uh, organic agriculture and organic and regenerative agriculture and, and uh, uh, food and, and land use are gonna be leading the way. That's such a positive way to look at this situation. And, and really, it is, you know, I, I love what you said about, you know, how people are cooking more, they're thinking more about where their food comes from, and, and really thinking about food as medicine to strengthen their immune systems. That's obviously always important, but now more important than ever before. Um, you know, I, I think one of the things that I've admired about the work that you do is that you're not just talking about changing practices. You're talking about building a more socially just food system. And and what maybe, you know, I, I think concerns me during this time is that uh, those, those strides that your organization and so many others have made around farmers' rights and workers' rights will be um, jeopardized. Do you, do you think that will happen because of this pandemic? I mean, workers and farmers were already sort of, you know, not always in, in a good situation, especially in the global South. Will this jeopardize the, the strides that have already been made? Well, I hope not. I mean, I, I do believe that people are looking right now more closely at the news and reports and seeing that, oh my God, the people who pick our food, the undocumented worker, many of whom are migrants, many of whom don't have citizenship papers are being treated like dirt. You know, they're having to work without protection they're not being paid adequately. They don't have health insurance. They're not eligible for these relief programs. It's like, we've got to come out of this and do better. Uh, and it's not just our, our farm workers. We have 20 million people in America who work in the food chain. It's all the way from farm workers to small farmers to people who work in grocery stores and drive the trucks and stack the shelves. and and. It's 40% of our 20 million food chain workers in the United States do not make enough money to buy organic food. 
right. you know and i think i think that when all the polls show that the the overwhelming majority of the public know that organic and regenerative food is better for you and they would like to buy it but when they pull out their wallets they don't have enough money to afford it uh, we need to realize that economic justice and the growth of organic and regenerative food and farming and land use go together. We can't have one without the, the other. And that's what's so beautiful about this Green New Deal, which the latest polls show the over 60% of the American public uh, support, that it's not only a transformation of our energy system and our manufacturing transportation, but our food system that's being called for, uh, but it's also a just transition right. to move away from where we are into where we want to be. And I think that in spite of the fact that politically things seem uh, highly polarized and crazy, I do believe we can come out of this uh, if we can fight for our right to vote with mail-in votes and our right, right for our votes to be counted this November. The whole world's looking at us and we're going to have to make changes that get us out of this desperate period and move us down the road to what uh, can be called a Green New Deal or a regenerative Green New Deal, as we right. like to say for OCA. And obviously we all need, we need universal health care for everyone, this pandemic, but not just universal health care. We're not just talking about a lot of ventilators, you know, and a lot of big pharmaceutical drugs that cost a fortune. We're talking about a regenerative system of universal health care, where we, where we emphasize prevention, where we emphasize wellness, where the right to a healthy diet and the right to the kind of supplements that increase our immune system, the right to be protected from ecological pollution. You know, I mean, 9 million people die every year from air pollution, you know. Five million kids die from hunger. Uh, as we go to solve this pandemic, I hope we'll look at the big picture. Uh, and the big picture is that we're, we're all in this together. We're gonna solve the pandemic and we're gonna solve the global climate emergency together or else we got some pretty scary times ahead of us. Absolutely, and I, I wanna reiterate something you said that a, another guest said earlier this week about the importance of voting we really have to look at this as a strategic year of maintaining voter rights, getting, you know, mail and ballot ballots so that we're all safe and that this, you know, the election isn't postponed or delayed in any way because it's more important now to uh, than ever to really vote. And and not just at the national level, but at the state and, and local level. You, you you were when you were talking about the Green New Deal, you said, you know, we need to get uh, where we want to be in terms of far food and farming. Where do you want us to be? Uh, with that Green New Deal uh, uh, in the farming sector? What what kinds of changes are, are you advocating for? Well, it'd be nice if, if our food and farming system could be like it was back in 1944 or 1945 before I were born, when basically most farming used to be organic, you know, most uh, animal husbandry or ranching used to be, uh, you know, free range and, and grass-based, where grocery stores used to be filled with, with foods that came from a hundred mile radius where small farmers and ranchers could still make a living. Now, we have learned in the organic movement and in the regeneration movement, some things that my grandparents didn't know as organic farmers in the fifties, but basically they already knew a lot. 
and we simply need to make uh, healthy, organic, regenerative food and farming and animal husbandry practices the norm again. And the best way to do this is let's stop subsidizing bad farming and bad ranching practices and environmental destruction. Let's start subsidizing good farming and ranching uh, practices and let's uh, keep doing what we've learned how to do now. Let's sit down together for the evening meal. Let's be really thankful to those farmers and food chain workers who made that possible. And let's get healthy so that we can have not only a long life, but a life of maximum quality uh, and excellence. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's one thing I've learned during this to to have more gratitude and to be grateful and to, instead of the despair that I think so many of us feel. I mean, I'm grateful for the farmers and food workers who make sure that, you know, I'm able to eat that my, you know, my elderly mom, I, I'm able to get food to her that I'm able to, you know, cook delicious meals for for my husband. But I, I think, you know, there's, uh, you, you know, you, you mentioned that we need to stop subsidizing the 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 big farms and big food and, and 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 the industrial practices but they have bigger lobbies than than we do you know the organic consumers association is such a great organization but big food has all of the money and and all of the power how do we how do we you know repair that how do we get big food out of you know influencing where our our um tax dollars go and 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 who are who our representatives in, in Congress are. I think we have to make it clear to everyone, everyone running for public office. And we have 519,000 elected and appointed public officials in the United States. If you count school boards, city councils, county boards, state and federal, if you count conservation districts and everything else. And we need, uh, we now have an example in the Congress of a number of people who will not take special interest money anymore. That should be the norm, not the exception. If we can get people elected to office who are not beholden to the powers that be that have gotten us into this degenerative state, uh, we will be in a lot better shape. And I think we're gonna have to fight for our rights to vote. I mean, look at the national elections the last time. Yes, uh, Donald Trump got 62 million votes. Hillary got 65 million, but 92 million people didn't vote or right. couldn't vote. And we have to change that. Uh, and this might be the year, November, uh, when we actually change that. Because how could it be the case that all the polls show that the overwhelming majority of the people want uh, good food, a healthy environment, decent living, a family farm-based agriculture, and so on. And yet we end up keep getting, uh, with this legislation we keep getting, not only at the federal level, but for the most part at the state and local level too. So I think this is the year things are going to start to really change. Uh, if we can't get the Supreme Court to follow what the people want and get money out of politics, then uh, we have to get money out of politics ourselves. And I think a campaign like Bernie Sanders' campaign showed that, you know, little donations from five or six million people add up to a lot of money. Uh, and so I know I'm tithing myself every month to give money to the politicians that, that are speaking up for a Green New Deal and organic and regenerative. And we all need to do that. Now that we're not wasting money on uh, 
you know, fast fashion or uh, substandard food in restaurants. I'm all for farm to table restaurants, by the way, and we should patronize them once they're open again. But I think most people would realize we spend half our food dollars in America on eating out. And it's not like we're eating out because the food's better there. Uh, and I think we're going to have to change that. Let's spend uh, as much as we can on healthy food, but let's also save a little bit to give to, you know, five or 10 bucks to the right political candidates. And let's Absolutely. volunteer and get out there and help Absolutely. them. Absolutely. We have a question from someone who's watching and, and they would like to know what Ronnie would say to consumers who say they care about food quality and health, but they don't want to get uh, quote unquote political. Well, uh, a lot of people don't want to get political because they don't see an alternative. I think they'd get very political if they saw an alternative. But what we have to understand is everything we do is political. You know, every time you pull out this wallet and make a food purchase, you're either casting your vote uh, for a regenerative future and, and a regenerative health, or you're casting it for something that's going to degrade us further. So I don't care what name you, you call it, but Everything we do every day, what we say to our neighbors, what we do uh, with our forks and knives, what we do in that voter, voting precinct uh, and the voting booth uh, is all important. Absolutely. Absolutely. Campaign finance reform, uh, regaining our voting rights. Those are really important things this year. I, I want to shift gears a little bit. I, there, you know, there's always folks who say that you know, organic agriculture is great. Regenerative agriculture is great, but it's never going to feed the world. And we saw on the front page of the New York Times uh, yesterday or the day before that, you know, this the COVID-19 pandemic will likely lead to a doubling of, of hungry people across the globe. What, but, you know, what I want you to do, Ronnie, is sort of, you know, dispel that myth that organic is, is less productive. Well, it's not only less productive, but right now in the world, 70% of the world's population are being fed by small farmers in their local markets. It may not show in the, the GDP statistics, but it's a reality. Uh, I live half the year in Mexico in a, in a rural area like that where most people don't get a lot of their food from grocery stores in town. They, they grow it or their neighbors grow it. Uh, on top of that, uh, organic is more productive than chemical intensive food. Uh, if you look at the nutrition per acre being produced, uh, part of what you have to do when you, when you produce food and other crops, uh, whether it's agroforestry or holistic management, you got to think about the soil. You got to think about the, uh, the biodiversity. You got to feed that at the same time. And I know, uh, the traditional way of growing rice and beans and squash together in Mexico, which has gone on for thousands of years, if you count up the nutrition uh, from those three foods on an acre, uh, as opposed to just the hybrid corn, GMO corn grown in the Midwest, uh, you still grow more nutrition uh, organically. And then all the studies at Rodale Institute and other places that have been going on for decades they show that, yes, in, quote, normal years, uh, the productivity of an organic farm and a chemical-intensive farm are approximately the same. But when you have adverse weather, either flood or drought, which is now the norm, 
Uh, right. Organic zooms ahead, uh, 30% greater, greater yields. So we're looking for yields that are, uh, will last over time where we don't mine our topsoil. We're mining our topsoil through industrial right. agriculture 10 times faster uh, than it's being replaced. Uh, organic and regenerative are obviously the way to go in the future. Most Americans, most people around the world know that. They simply need to have enough money in their pockets to be able to afford it, and we will boom. We're booming now, right. uh, and we're going to boom uh, much stronger as we come out of this pand uh, pandemic, but it's going to require uh, economic justice as well as an expansion of, of uh, regenerative and organic farming. Absolutely. Affordability, accessibility are a huge part of, of this issue for sure. Well, you know, you mentioned more sort of nutrition per acre, per hectare. Why have we focused on quantity of food and calories over quality? Why has that been the norm for the last 50, 60 years? Yeah, it's just been a, a myth propagated by agribusiness and big pharma ag over the last 50 years that what you want is the biggest head of corn that you've ever seen and the most bushels in an acre no matter if it's doused with toxic chemicals, no matter if you have to eat five years of corn uh, today uh, compared to what you had to eat 50 years ago in terms of the micronutrients uh, in that. So we need to look at, at things uh, besides size and physical yield. We, we need to look at the overall damage that they do to the environment. Uh, unless we want to become one of those statistics of pre-existing conditions oh we couldn't save him because he had he was obese because he had diabetes because he had uh, hypertension because he had uh, cancer uh, because he, he had asthma or she it's like pre-existing conditions are not some act of God these are products of a food and farming system that are out of control and if we will join together uh, collectively, we can take back control of our diets, our health, our agriculture, and have a very uh, different future, a regenerative future instead of a degenerative future. Absolutely. Diet-related diseases, you know, and, and the, you know, uh, mortality rate from COVID-19 are, are obviously connected. We need to think of our healthcare system and our food system more holistically. Those are all great points. You know, I, I want to get back to this idea of, of how regenerative agriculture can protect uh, farms and food systems and, and all of us as eaters against, you know, global shocks. And in your book, Grassroots Rising, you, you propose policy reforms that, you know, really incentivize farmers to transition away from industrial practices um, and, and go towards a more sort of organic regenerative paradigm. How will that, those sort of um, changes that you, you want farmers and, and others to implement, how will that protect us in the future from, you know, another pandemic? This is likely not the last time that we'll go through something like this or the, the global shocks that are already occurring because of climate change. Well, the pandemics, uh, I think there's pretty wide agreement that if we keep whacking down the habitats of the last remaining wild animals uh, on the planet, we're going to continue to have problems of transmission from these diseases into humans. I think we also have a broad agreement that if you look at the uh, diseases, the, the epidemics that we've suffered through in the last few decades, most of them have come out of factory farm chicken 
and pig operations, mm -hmm. not uh, uh, not either escapes from a lab or from bats or whatever caused this. Uh, and so th these are breeding grounds for disease. These CAFOs we're seeing they're also they're also uh, infecting the workers now. So if we want protection, uh, and we've we've temporarily forgotten about our epidemic of antibiotic resistant diseases that are killing 28,000 of us this year. Now, COVID-19 has killed more of us this year than antibiotic resistance, but the scientists warn us that, that over the next few decades, antibiotic resistance is gonna kill, they say 50 million people by 2050. Can you explain the connection to animal agriculture? Not all of our viewers probably understand. Yes, I mean, uh, antibiotic resistance uh, is caused primarily by two things, feeding animals antibiotics in the factory farm system so they don't fall over and die. Uh, and then that antibiotic resistance uh, causes the, the development of pathogens in the animals, in the meat, in the environment that infect the workers, infect the water, infect the air, infect us who consume it. Uh, so that when you go to use an antibiotic for an infection, uh, it doesn't work because the animal that you may have been eating or the air you've been breathing or the water you've been drinking was, you know, contaminated uh, with these antibiotic resistant uh, pathogens. The other cause uh, is overprescribing antibiotics by doctors uh, when they, uh, when you don't really need them. I mean, a virus, for example, uh, uh, the common cold or so on, you're sure. not going to want it. So those two things together are adding up to the fact that we are down to the last few antibiotics that work in all cases. And so more and more people are dying uh, once they go into the hospital right. uh, from blood poisoning and so on. And we got to stop this. And of course, Big Pharma has not been eager to develop new antibiotics uh, because they say, oh, there's not enough money in it. So obviously we need to have our antibiotics uh, in a system which is not for profit. This is for the public good. So we're looking at disasters there. We're, you know, we're looking at these uh, returns of things like, you know, we may have forgotten about the pig virus or the, or the, uh, the avian flu, but those are still out there. Uh, SARS, you know, Lyme disease, all these things uh, are gonna get worse rather than better if we don't look out. And uh, we need to stop the way we deal with habitat destruction. This is factory farm multinational corporations. I mean, if you look at what's whacking down the forest right now, well, palm oil, uh, especially in Asia, and in I'm seeing it more and more in Central America and South America, right. and then GMO soybeans. Uh, this is what's taking down the Amazon. This is what's taking down the last habitat of wild animals in Africa and Asia and Latin America. And we better stop this. Uh, we also need to look at why, why do people eat bushmeat? Why do poor people go into the jungle and kill these animals and bring them into the wet markets? And why do people eat monkeys and so on and so forth? You know, it's because for the most part, poverty. Right. You know, and we if we don't address the poverty that is rampant among the world's 3.5 billion rural people, uh, it's going to be very hard to keep this under control. Absolutely.
Uh, speaking of, of things getting worse rather than better, the EPA has moved uh, to waive certain regulations around pesticide use, around pollution from from CAFOs or factory farms and, and other uh, parts of the industrial agriculture system. Um, how would a new green deal uh, for agriculture and, and for you know the, the economy protect these regulations? How how can we return to making sure that we have better environmental regulations in place? Because this administration uh, has really destroyed so many years of work, work that was done over 40 years to make sure that we had clean air, clean water, um, that you know people were protected. Well, I think that we can organize the public around the concept of make polluters pay. Uh, and it will be much easier if we can also say that, hey, the, the uh, four or five million people who work in the fossil fuel industry, for example, uh, we're going to keep paying them what they make right now as we retrain them for green jobs in the future. We cannot let people divide workers and environmentalists and organic advocates uh, apart. And I know I grew up in Cancer Alley in southeast uh, Texas, right on the Louisiana border. I grew up breathing in polluted air from the oil refineries and the chemical plants and the plastic plants. And I watched my kids, my schoolmates die. You know, we don't even have high school reunions anymore because everyone's dead, you know, uh -huh. because they stayed behind and worked in this. Sure. So I know I know really well the people who work in the fossil fuel industry, the work people who work in the polluting industries. These are not bad people. These are people who deserve a decent wage, people who deserve to be healthy, people who deserve not spending the, the last part of their lives in, in some hospital hooked up to a machine. Because the pollution that they that they had to deal with so long, so we need to bring this this blue green, uh, blue collar uh, green uh, advocate alliance uh, to life, and I think Absolutely. we can do that. That's great. That's great. Before I ask uh, uh, the final question, I want to remind people uh, where they can get more information about you and the Organic Consumers Association. They can go to organicconsumers.org. They can, again, uh, buy your book. It came out in February. It's great. Everyone can see it. Um, it was published by Chelsea Green. So you can go to chelseagreen.com or wherever you buy books, your independent booksellers, hopefully. Um, Ronnie, my, my last question to you is, you know, you're, you're a hopeful person and, and you, you have a, 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 lot of, a lot to say about, you know, uh, the future and where we can go. I want to know who's inspiring you the most right now. I'm inspired the most by the global youth-led climate movement, which is which is uh, it's uh, multiracial, uh, it's hopeful, it's radical. It reminds me of when I got involved in the 1960s, and unbelievable that a group in the United States, like a handful of Congress people, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, and the Sunrise Movement, were able to come up with the Green New Deal which has changed the whole conversation uh, in the U.S. and to some extent the world. And so I'm, uh, I'm very thankful that the new generation here is leading the way, and I'm proud to be uh, part of this movement. That's great. And it's, I'm so glad you said that because later today at 5 p.m. I'll be interviewing Mackenzie Feldman from the Sunrise Movement and who's doing amazing work uh, uh, against uh, herbicides on campuses and all this other incredible work. So join me back here at 5 p.m. when I'll be talking to Mackenzie. Ronnie, you're an inspiration. Please stay safe in Mexico 
And, and I hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you very much. Keep up the good work. Thanks so much. Bye now. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to Food Talk with Danny Nirenberg. Please rate, review, subscribe, and share the podcast. Make sure to return to foodtank.com every day for original reporting and analysis on the most pressing issues impacting our food system.